Good morning. <laughs> Today is an exciting day. We've, uh, we have several new things happening, but at first you could be in prayer for Brother Wade. He's not feeling well today, and thus he asked me to fill in. So I will be preaching from his notes, and unfortunately due to the sudden nature of his illness, I had to choose to either read through the notes and sound like a preacher, or go home and then look like a preacher. So I pros, chose to, to read through the notes. So I'm hoping in this day of Zoom calls that you can forget that I'm not wearing a coat and that I'm standing behind a pulpit so you can't maybe see my jeans or my tennis shoes. Uh, first thing, we, we did have a work day yesterday and a lot of people showed up and it was awesome. Uh, we did a lot of cleaning, a lot of painting, organizing, throwing things away, which is my wife's favorite thing to do. Um, and one of the benefits we have, as David mentioned, we do have some new house lighting. It's not done, but we are close. Uh, some of those who helped out yesterday were here from like 7 in the morning till 7 at night, and we had people come in and out all throughout the day, and it was awesome. So thank you so much for all that you did yesterday for those who were here, and we get to reap the benefits of those things. Um, in addition to the new lights, we have new recharge books that they've put together out in the front. So if you haven't grabbed one, please grab one. Uh, this will provide you with an option for a personal Bible study over the next three months that will correlate with our message and community groups, which on the fact of community groups, they start this evening. Uh, we have four groups that start on Sunday, or tonight, and then we have one on Wednesday afternoon, one on Wednesday evening, and then one group that's on Thursday evening. And we really want you to consider joining one if you haven't. Uh, there's a lot of fun. There's a tremendous time for fellowship, for prayer, and, of course, being a Baptist, lots of food. So, insert laugh. There you go. Awesome. That's not in the notes. I just, uh, yeah. The last new thing that we have today is that we're starting a new ser so we're starting a new sermon series through the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you'd like to start making your way there in your Bibles at the beginning of 2 Corinthians or if you're using our YouVersion Bible app, it's at the beginning there. We'll be focusing our attention in chapter 1 in just a few minutes. This is the at least the third letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9, Paul refers to a previous letter that was written to the Corinthian church, making 1 Corinthians actually his second letter, and 2 Corinthians his third letter. And the first letter was apparently not preserved by God uh, to be part of our biblical canon. According to the inductor notes of the ESV study Bible, the central theme of 2 Corinthians is the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit in Paul's apostolic life ministry and message. Paul's opponents had argued that Paul suffered too much to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. However, Paul argues that his weakness as an apostle is the very means by which believers are comforted, and God in Christ is made known in the world. Paul's suffering as an apostle is thus the very means that God uses to reveal his glory. This theme of the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit will be the focal point of our study this morning. Because the power of the Holy Spirit of God brings us hope in the midst of suffering, 
can we just pause here for a moment and reflect as a church for the hope that we have in the midst of suffering. We have hope in the midst of suffering. What a glorious blessing it is to know that there is someone who is in control of all things, even our difficult times. There is someone who is in control, and that someone is Jesus. He is working together all the events and all situations that we are facing, that I am facing, for his good, uh, for our good and his glory. Now, that doesn't mean that every situation and every circumstance that you're facing and that I'm facing are good. Quite the contrary. Most, most often than not, life is just hard. Relationships are hard. Jobs are hard. Parenting is hard. And sometimes it's just hard to get out of bed. When the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good, God is saying that everything we're going through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is being used by God to make us into the people that he wants us to be. And that is why he says in Romans 8.29 that God allows all things to happen so we will be conformed to the image of his son. Before we get into that today, I want to take a moment to just notice a few things about Paul's greeting at the beginning of the letter. The common, form, uh, the common form for these type of letters or epistles in the New Testament was for the author to first identify himself and then identify the recipients second. We know that Paul is the author, and he mentions Timothy in the greeting as well because Timothy had served in that church in Corinth before. Acts 18.5 tells us that Silas and Timothy had joined Paul in Corinth after he had been there for some time. Paul wrote to the local church in Corinth. He addresses specific situations that are going on in that local church that they were facing in Corinth. But notice that he also addresses all the saints who were in the whole of Achaia. And Achaia was the Roman designation for the southern province of Greece. And the word that I... Oh, hold on. I'm drawing a blank. Chinchirin? No? Yes? Chinchirin Church? Wade knows better words than I do. I believe it's Shinshirian Church, and I'm sure he'll post in the Facebook, but Shinshirian Church, which was also in Achaia, Romans 16.1. And Paul's words suggest that other churches also exist in that region. So Paul ex expected that this uh, the epistle to be passed around among not just the church, the local church that he had sent it to, but also the other local congregations that were around, and then potentially to be copied and then pass passed around even more. So in that same way today, we need to read this letter um, to the church that was to the church of Corinth with a clear understanding of what it must be understood in the context of that culture and setting because the Bible cannot mean what it never meant. Yeah, way down. <laughs> for this reason, for this reason, we're going to study both first and second Corinthians in our recharge books this following uh, this fall. Uh, and even though we're in Second Corinthians, we're actually going to study both one and two um, during those days two and days three. So you have day one, day two, day three. And on day two of each week, you'll have a Bible reading in which you will soak through that in your journal. And then day three of each week, you will actually have inductive questions that will go back understanding the issues that the church was dealing with at that time. So again, if you don't have one, if you don't have a morning Bible study, this is an awesome thing again to, to dive deeper into our sermon series. So what does that mean this letter was written 
was it, uh, does that mean this letter was written only for them? Or does it contain truths that we can obey today? While it's true that the Bible must be interpreted in the light in which the original recipients and the biblical principles of that scripture, trans, those biblical principles transcend time and they are applicable to us. We just need to be careful when we make our observations that we are using proper hermeneutic before making applications to our personal life. So let's begin reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivers us from such a deadly peril, and he will, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So when you go through trials and difficult situations, how do you respond? You see, the way that we respond reveals a lot about who we are. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, he said to them, If you find the godless world is hating you, remember it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you, the world is going to hate you. John 15, 18 through 19, that was the message. When we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are able to identify with the suffering that Jesus experienced in his life and death. Let me say that again. When we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are able to identify with the suffering that Jesus experienced in his life and death. And in that, we should rejoice. In Acts 5, Peter and the apostles had been preaching the truth of the gospel in the temple among the Jews in Jerusalem. They were causing quite a commotion, so they had them, the, uh, the, Jews, arrest, or the Jews had them arrested and then thrown in, pr in prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. He told them to go back to the temple and continue to preach the word of this life the very next day. They were arrested again and stood before the council again, and the members of the council wanted to kill them. A wise member of the council, Gamaliel, offered the sage words, Keep away from these men and let them alone. 
For if the plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. What they did next revealed the heart that they had for the Lord. In Acts 5.41, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. If you rejoice in your sufferings, your heart is where God wants it to be. But if you constantly complain about your situation and question the goodness of God because of what you're going through, you have a heart condition that needs restoration. And let's not forget the promise that we have in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 3, 5. God comforts us in our affliction. Looking at verse 4 through 7 again. Who comforts us in all affliction? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So we asked before, when you go through trials and difficult circumstances, how do you respond? The way we respond reveals a lot about what we're going to focus on. Notice again in verse 4 that God promises to comfort us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort others. So that we may be able to comfort others. The more trials and difficulties that we go through, they better equip us when we're going to bring comfort to others when they are struggling. And a couple of examples. Watching my wife suffer for five years through an autoimmune disease that just was misdiagnosed constantly. And being able to do nothing to help her. Help me have insight in some of the things that you're going through. Those sicknesses. <laughs> Receiving the hurt of a church member in the form of anger or yelling helps us as a church staff to understand your difficulties with maybe an angry boss. Giving up our rights, or, or I have the right to do this, or I have the right to my opinion, or I have the right to say what I think and feel. When we give up that right, it helps us identify with Jesus, who though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We might have the right to defend ourselves, but what did Jesus do? He kept his mouth shut. He suffered. We need an eternal perspective in the midst of suffering. Asking questions like, why is this happening? How would, Christ, how would Christ respond in this situation? Why would he keep his mouth closed? Or would he start throwing tables? 
Before we decide what response is appropriate, we should ask ourselves a few questions. What is my motivation for responding in this way? What is God trying to teach me in this particular situation? Do I have any unconfessed sin that would bring about this discipline? How can I use this that I'm learning to help others? What response will bring most glory to God? These questions and possibly many others are vital in us helping to understand how God is at work in your life through a trial. That's why Paul said, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I love what the author of Hebrews said about this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. We've been talking a lot about our responses to trials and sufferings and how they should look like. But folks, in the heat of the moment, when the world is pressing in on you, what must you be able to do to respond well? What is your first reaction? What can we do to respond well first? Looking at verses 8 and 9, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God uses suffering in our lives to get us beyond our strength and in great despair. Paul could not have stated this more clearly. That what he said at the end of the verse 9, he said that it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When do you find yourself relying on God the most? Is it when money is not a problem and you can pay all your bills and have everything ready to go? Or when you're sure, not sure that you can make it to the end of the month? Is it when everyone at work is happy with you and the boss is happy and everything's going great and you're ahead of schedule? Or is it when you're behind and stressed and there's projects piling up and the boss is angry? Is it when your family's happy and everybody's getting along and just seems like vacation all the time? Or do we find ourselves looking down at a person in a bed and sickness or, or failure or things that are beyond our control. When do we find ourselves relying on God the most? God uses these things in a host of other situations to cause us to trust in him. Will you trust in him in these times? Or will you question his love for you? Let's look at these last two verses in this section. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us 
through the prayers of many. He delivered us. And he will deliver us. Our recharge, uh, uh, our very first week one, day one study dives deeper into this topic. The effect of suffering in the believer's life. In Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5, Paul gives us the, the cycle of suffering and how that rejoicing in hope starts with hope and then it ends with hope. But do you know what's in the middle of that cycle of, of suffering? It's suffering. Endurance. Character. Suffering builds endurance into our lives. Endurance builds a characteristic of our lives. Endur- or, uh, and character is a, deri- or a descriptive of a transformed life that now has more hope. Endurance, character, suffering, hope, hope. When you learn to trust in God in those difficult times and hope in his deliverance, your faith and your hope will begin to grow. This will allow you to demonstrate even greater faith and hope next time in trials that come your way. So what difficult circumstance are you currently facing today? How have you been responding to that circumstance? What does God want you to do today as a first step in turning that situation completely over to him? Let me say that one again. What does God want you to do today as a first step in turning the situation completely over to him. Will you claim these promises of scripture? Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And 1 Peter 5 says, says, Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Do not be anxious. Cast all of your anxieties on him. What will you do today? To turn and to give that situation completely over to him. You join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, there is no situation that you aren't fully aware of. You aren't fully aware of the people that are going through them. That you are fully aware of what they are feeling today, right now. And what is even greater for us, we are people of hope. As people of hope, we know that our suffering is not without purpose. And eventually made for good, for your good. So that we can comfort others who are suffering also. Thank you, Father, for giving us hope. A hope that is unshaken. Because it rests upon your Son. And I pray that if there is someone here today that doesn't know your Son, I pray that they come to share in that hope. And for those of us who have forgotten God, I pray that we would return to this throne, return to your son, 
and share in the hope that you give us. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.